When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> it would be a wolf's fun, eh? On goes Paul. People might yet win it here for Wolves. Flash in the shot. What a goal! Good evening and welcome to Wolves Fancast. My name is Matt. I am straddled by Stu and Andy and uh, Ed is somewhere in the digital ether. Um, no, this isn't uh, an episode for Fathers for Justice. We are just <laughs> middle-aged men looking to talk about uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers and their victory over the European champions and the champions elect this season as well. Manchester City Football Club. Thank you very much for everybody joining us, whether that be on Facebook, on YouTube or on Twitter. We've got access to all of your comments in live time, so we'll do our very, very best to read as many of them out as physically possible. Do need to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank our um, our partners in crime, Audrey, for uh, helping uh, keep the podcast on the air and also Boston Coffee Company as well. We have a charity game as part of Wolves Foundation uh, coming up on the 15th of October. All of the different Wolves fan channels, podcasts, uh, YouTubers, etc., are taking part in a seven-a-side tournament, the Wolves Content Creators Cup. And uh, there is a Just Giving page for that. Anything that you can donate would be really appreciated for a great cause, Wolves Foundation, which um, you know we've spoke about and health podcasts in the mental health side of it as well um, a really fantastic cause so anything that you can do to donate would be really really appreciated how are we gentlemen are we both well yeah i'm, I'm good you know i've only just realized that we can actually see the comments as well i always assumed it was just whoever was hosting the podcast so i'm just looking through the the comments on the the twitter it's uh, uh, no it's twitter it's on youtube those comments come so that's quite a nice surprise for the evening Yes, it isn't until we get ridiculed or uh, or something. something yeah. Oh, yes, with those today. Absolutely. <laughs> Stu, are you uh, are you well after yesterday? Were you um, in the pub celebrating? I rumor has it. <laughs> no, no, I went. I behaved myself. I went straight back home. I mean, I obviously didn't stop drinking as uh, people mocked me for drinking Carlsberg. But you know what? Like what I said at the time, it's a nice. It's a pint cans of Carlsberg from the co-op. And I had I had some old co-op points, and I thought, well, why not? Why not? Gotta live here. So I thought before going on the uh, on the hard stuff, let's refresh the palate um, after the kebab, and um, went on the Carlsberg, and I stayed on the Carlsberg for a considerable amount of time, and then I woke up feeling awful this morning. But <laughs> hey, who cares? It doesn't matter. We won. Yes, so. absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to you know get to straight away, and much like uh, Nick Cage podcast counterpart at Cape Fortune Pod. Um, we had, I had extremely low expectations about this game. And I wanted to know, Andy, um, is this one of the games in your entire supporting career of Wolves? Have you had lower expectations for a result? Or have there been any other fixtures that you can think of where you've really thought we've got no hope in hell? I mean, it's, you're probably going to have to go back to the McCarthy-Terry Connor relegation season. The last time that I think feelings were as low as they were following Luton and Ipswich. Like, it, it was kind of a, a lot of grumbling going on around the ground pre-kickoff. A lot of people felt like they were there out of obliga obligation rather than out of want. So, I, like, I don't think of any one specific game in particular, which I think hopes were as low as they were. But the... Um, the general malaise before the match was was definitely settling in, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Stu, what about you? How did you feel going into the game? Um, the, the absolute realist that you are within uh, this club? <laughs> I mean, I had Man City over four goals and I was quite open about that bet at eight to one. Um, only three quid though, no, nothing silly. But yeah, I think Andy's probably spot on there. I mean, you, you probably could go back to like when we played Chelsea with George Savile at left back and you think, okay, this is not a great idea and we've got no hope here. But on an even playing field like that, kind of in the same league, yeah, it's been it's been a long time. Maybe like Man United away in, in the Dave Jones year when Henry Kamara pulled one wide in that one chance that we had in that game. Uh, maybe going into that thinking, oh, we ain't got a prayer. Um, I think it probably helped though, because no one had any expectation whatsoever. And we had one one goal, and that was to destroy Matthias Nunes, and mm-hmm. we, we, did that, we did that as well. So well done, everyone! Absolutely. Well, let's just have a quick look then um, at the lineup and and what to expect. You know, there was a lot of talk after the um, after the Ipswich game. There was a need to you know be more resolute defensively, and uh, Gary O'Neill opted. For five at the back and an introduction of uh, Totti to that lineup. Andy, from your point of view, looking at the lineup there, five at the back against a team as rampant as Man City was the prudent thing to do. Result aside, take that out of context for you in a minute. Going into that game, it was you know the right thing to do, as far as logically I would have thought. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we knew we were going to be under the cosh for pretty much the whole 90 minutes. We knew that we were going to see very little of the ball. So it was very much a case of we need to try and get as many people back to stop them from just overrunning us. And then you've got your pacey players in your netto, your Cunha, and you've got someone who's a little bit tricky like uh, like Hwanga. So I think it was the perfect lineup. It was exactly what it needed to be. It was precisely what I wanted to see, especially... I don't know if we're going to come on to this, but just like I just want to touch on like the striker situation. Obviously, we've got three forwards vying for that one position. And there's been a lot of calls for Kalajic, but obviously midweek against Ipswich, he showed that he's nowhere near fit enough. Fabio just doesn't have the the physical attributes yet. It feels like he's still a work in progress, very much so. So it, it has to be Cunha, I think, in that role. For me personally, because he's got the strength, he's got the nose and he's got the pace to actually cause some troubles. Even if you can't finish for shit, he's a good player who can bring others in. So for me, yeah. that lineup was exactly what I wanted to see. Absolutely. I mean, from your point of view, Stu, let's bring the lineup for those that are watching along at the moment. Um, Totti Gomez, it's a bit of an interesting one, that, in that I think he really divides opinion on... You know, some people have him on the scale of absolutely not at the right level. Other people have him, you know, really highly thought of, one that's going to really come through this season. When you saw that lineup, did you think we're going to get exploited having, you know, Dawson, who we will come on to, but again, take the result out of context, hasn't got the legs that he may once have. Kilman is Kilman at times, uh, and Totti being Totti. What were your thoughts on that back line going into this game? I mean, everything you just said was ultimately put to rest as soon as I saw that Totti was brought back in because you look at the Dawson thing. Dawson not having legs doesn't matter when he's in the middle playing like Cody used to mm-hmm. and having the, the exact game plan that he had. Um, Totti, I don't get, and again from Connor in the comments, uh, Totti's class and he is. And I don't understand any... I know the only thing I can think of is because he looks so weird. He's got this weird, odd, rugged style and he looks a bit gangly and a bit uncomfortable, but he's never let us down. And you look at the... What's the other option? Fake Bueno, who's completely unfit, as we saw on Tuesday night, who hasn't kicked a ball since May before then. I think someone said midweek. So it was a no-brainer to bring Totti back in and playing Kilman on the right-hand side, which is where he played his best football for us anyway. Weirdly enough, it everything just seemed to sit in, fall back into place. And obviously, Samedo's kind of he's he's better not being completely exploited and having to cover his everyone else's arse as well as his own job. And then you take the defensive frailties of Nuri off as well because you've got that cover. So it's almost like the whole club is built like this for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then we've tried for over 18 months mm-hmm. to try and change it, and it didn't work. So then we're going back to basics. And as soon as he I, I was still a bit, I'm mean, going if he would do it, 
kind of out of stubbornness, really, because of what he'd shown so far. But as soon as we saw the back five and it was Toti as well, I thought, well, I'd got more confidence that it would be my bet wouldn't be coming in in a, stra- in a strange way. <laughs> I, I did, but I didn't think it would be as superb as it was. Yeah. No, I understand completely. We'll get on to the three slash five at the back um, a little later on when we look at briefly at the uh, at the Villa game ahead and what the, for, the future of this team looks like and formation wise, etc. Um, going on to the, the the game itself, then, and we'll talk about individuals. But going into the game, you know, Wolves were very very happy to let City have the ball. City, I was I was on comms, so I was describing it and. All I could, I was saying on a loop over and over, like a broken record, pass to the left of centre, over to the far side, back to the... And there's that Simpsons episode when they have the, uh, <laughs> the World Cup game where it's just holds it, mm. holds it. You know, they were very, very um, happy to let City have the ball, dominating possession, 80% to 20%, etc. Um, we've been very guilty in the past, uh, Andy, of allowing teams... We'll try and play out you know, and cause ourselves problems. And there was signs of that early on when we did get the ball, we were in a rush to get it forward as you absolutely have to be. Were you conscious that it was like a matter of time before we considered, or were you happy with how we were soaking up pressure before we got the first goal? I think I was quite happy for pretty much the first 20 odd minutes with the way that they were approaching it, going slow, sort of drawing City onto us because City they didn't press anywhere near as effectively as we can see them doing it. So we did, we managed to counteract the way that they press. So, and don't get me wrong, if you'd have told me that pre-match that that's how we were going to try it, I would have absolutely <laughs> shit it. But once it actually came to the mechanics of the game, I think we handled it very well. And like we've said before on this podcast, playing out from the back is probably the way forward to play football. But unless you're one of the big, big clubs, it's a really difficult thing to do. But they showed that they could do it with some level of maturity yesterday. So I don't think we should be throwing the baby out of the bathwater when it comes to uh, playing out from the back. We've shown that we can do it. They need to pick and choose their times. And they did it perfectly yesterday to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you mentioned it there, segued very well into kind of talking about emotional maturity. And I've been critical, very critical of this team at times, especially um, last season where emotionally it feels like we let the occasion get the better of us at times if a decision doesn't go our way we seem to kind of lose our heads we can see the goal maybe against the run of play or something like that playing against Manchester City you've got to be so disciplined haven't you Stu to re- you've got to almost put in a perfect performance to get anything out of it and then when the opportunities present themselves you then have to attack at pace you know how did you feel as a team we handled that occasion, especially with the sizzle and spice of having, you know, Nunes on the field as well. I mean, emotional maturity is kind of the, the, the buzzword of the whole performance, really. It was everyone did their job properly, which is mm. a miracle considering what we've seen so far. And again, what I said on Tuesday night um, and got a bit of either for, which is probably right. So when I said that he was comparing Gary O'Neill to a German dictator and well, Nazi dictator, I said, didn't I? But again, there was probably something in that. And his comments when he said that, yeah, they're, they're not listening to me and, and they're not, they need to learn how we play. Maybe this is what he meant all along. Maybe it was, oh, let's not go out and run ourselves into the ground after 20 minutes and then fall apart. Maybe it was, okay, this is where you sit, this is where you go, this is where you go, this is your job. Don't do anything else, just do that. And he looked like everyone did that yesterday. And for a team like that, that's got Samedo, who's a bit, we know what he can be like. And he gets criticised when he goes walkabout and stuff. But again, perfect yesterday. Absolutely perfect. And everyone on there, you can scapegoat. What the, I don't know what them people are doing today. They've probably, probably killed themselves by now because it was incredible. Everyone did the jobs perfectly. And mm-hmm. I think, like we said, emotional maturity could be the title of this podcast. Not for us three, but for the performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on there. I mean, we'll come on to individual performances in a minute. Um, but Harland, you know, he was very, very ineffectual, um, you know, in the entire game. Looking at the uh, at the bookmakers, nine to one on Sky, but exactly our type of game, says uh, David in the comments. Um, 
Matt Bradley with an interesting point here. It probably helped that Nunes gave the fans something to focus their eye on rather than Gary O'Neill and the team. From your point of view, Andy, did that sizzling spice of that, you know, every time he received the ball, he got absolute pelters. Every time he lost the mm. ball, he got absolute pelters. We had a, a, a weird passage of play where there were Olays coming at one, you know, at one point where we were just passing the ball. <laughs> In the first half, each other. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, from that point of view, did you think that, you know, having him playing was a mistake from Pep or do you think that it added to the overall team performance, do you think? Um, I think it was a miscalculation from Pep because he gave the exact kind of performance that he's given at Molyneux 19 times already. <laughs> you know, like it was precisely the, the game that we're used to him seeing. I don't know if he's up to scratch in his fitness or if he even knows what he's doing in the City team. So putting him in there, it was a very odd decision from Pep. Maybe he thought that it was a case of that ire that you're going to get from the Wolves fans will stoke him up to give a performance. But it did the exact opposite. He just wilted and he had quite a lot of possession of the ball. Like a lot of the play was him linking up the play, but he did very little with it to actually cause any problems. And don't get me wrong, I think a big part of that is the fact that Joe Gomez made him his bitch. And he did so. Like, the fans, like most of the people around me were like, oh, someone's going to have to go through Nunes. Someone's going to absolutely clatter him. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. They just played football, got on with it, and made him look shit, which is even better than, mm-hmm. you know, a going through with your studs. Like, it was the perfect fucking performance from someone like your Laminas and your Gomez's when it comes to, to handling a player like Nunes, who is clearly suffering the effects from the fans, are you? Yeah, I mean, Stu, from your point of view, um, I mean, it was de- it was deafening from where I was. I had like noise cancelling headphones on, and I could just hear it. It was so loud and so intimidating, and something that I felt like we haven't had in the stadium for a long time. And like you know, like every good wrestling storyline, you need a better villain sometimes, and you need your heroes. How did you feel? You know, the atmosphere was in the grounds, and and what effect it would have had on on the players itself for both teams? I mean, I put the call out, didn't I, on Friday and on X, as we call it. Let's be branded. Um, saying that we need, he, in an ideal world, he'd get the Danny Mills treatment. And I think it was, if it didn't match it, it came very close. Because I, I didn't think that crowd had it in them anymore. Um, after what we've gone through for the last three years or so since Nuno and Post then, from a, different reasons or whatever um but even even my mate who's at Bolton phone watching it on match of the day of all things saying your atmosphere looked unreal when was the last time that was said about Molyneux mm. <laughs> years and years literally years ago and when that greedy little twat bought it on himself nothing if he just left like he could have done and like all the in the John Percy article came out on Friday as well saying about exactly what happened um there were, I don't think there would have been a problem because it was like, okay, like Jota, he's moved up a level. Fine, we've got the money for him, no problem. But doing what he mm-hmm. did, he got everything he deserved. And I think, I mean, Pep, <laughs> Pep did a lot of things over the weekend that kind of that added fuel to the fire. But I don't think he realised quite the feeling towards Nunes. Mm. Because I, th- I think if he if he'd had any inkling whatsoever, he wouldn't have done that because... Just to see the guy be so cocky to start with and then to just see the life drain out of him. It was amazing to see. Um, yeah. And it, it, Even if we'd lost that game, I'd have been so proud because we'd actually done him in. And it was no missiles thrown at him, nothing bad. A few C-bombs, obviously, but who cares? But there was nothing. It never crossed the line, which was the great thing about it. And he was just broken down. And that that cheer at half-time when he's, the, the sub-board came that he's been replaced... I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. 27 mm. years have been at Molyneux. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Josh Rodriguez in the comments has put a great question here, Andy. I'm going to put it to you. Well, not a question, a statement, but we need the same energy when we play Forrest yeah. for Morgan Gibbs-White. Do you think that this is going to be the um, the firelighters of getting this kind of off the ground where we just become a nastier place to play, <laughs> which, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, we want, away games to be as difficult as possible for other teams where, you know, we have another pantomime villain in Morgan Gibbs-White. Do you think, you know, that should be the catalyst going forward? I, I certainly hope so, because you are right. It's 
Molyneux hasn't been the fortress that it sort of was under Nuno. We got it back a little bit under Lopetegui, don't get me wrong, but I think that was more on the pitch than it was off the pitch. So this could be the perfect time to turn into a bunch of bastards in the stands again and really make it an unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. And for Morgan Gibbs-White, by all accounts, the Forest fans hate him again. So whether or not he'll even be playing <laughs> by the time they come round to the Molyneux, who knows? Yeah, of course. Um, before we get on to the um, the goals and the kind of statistics behind the game, which we'll go into in a bit more detail, just want to give a, a comment to the refereeing performance yesterday. Um, there was obviously a few different talking points. Um, one being the Calvin Phillips stamp, grazing, you know, once you've seen the it back, and I mean, we didn't even get the highlight of that on match of the day. I don't know if you've even seen the incident, like in real time, because I saw a screen of a replay, and he, you know, he does raise his foot, push it down on the player. Um, no apparent check from a VAR point of view. That was that was you know point number one. There was the foul on Cunha that wasn't given, but then the blatant two-handed push in the back. <laughs> Um, of the city player that caused the free kick, you know, and then there was there was the Huang two yellow scenario where you know I think his second foul was a yellow to be honest, um, but the first one was harsh to begin with. So there's an element of leveling out there. It was a weird kind of performance from the referee, where it's actually kind of let the game flow, fine from that point of view. But it was on a weekend of massive trust issues with the referee and VAR and everything else, Stu. Were you kind of content with how the referee handled the game? I thought it was all right. <laughs> Very rarely I'll come on here and, and and not have a go at them because most of them are completely incompetent, if we, as we've seen. But like Dean said there, Aki should have gone. Um, but in a way, I kind of, I mean, like you said, Matt, I liked how he just let things go. If he'd have done things by the letter of the law, like that guy at Luton did, and he was punishing absolutely everything, it would have been awful. But I think the game as a whole, even though we were, it was a backs against the wall thing for us, it would have been harsh. But so at the same time, if you're letting Ake off, then you're letting Quang off as well, mm. which is yeah. fine. But what are you going to do? I mean, the, the thing, oh, there you are. When they're trying to push Wang off the pitch, that was a yellow card. That was a straight yellow card, and he let it go. And you think, okay, this is where you've you've got to kind of clamp down on this because he's going to get out, out of control. And at full time, it did get out of control. I, don't, I ain't seen anything of it, any repercussions after what happened there. But um, but I think I didn't think the Cunha one was a foul. I didn't think it live at the time. And I put it in our group chat. I think when, when the corruption chant started, I thought, well, this is just stupid because that was he's gone down way too easily. We saw mm. it last week, um, Anthony Gordon at Sheffield United going down, not getting a penalty when it should probably should have been, but he faked it so badly that, the, the well, you're not going to get there, are you? Um, the, the free kick that they scored from was a foul. So I think overall, I think he did an okay job, which considering uh past track record against big six sides is better than we normally get. So I was relatively happy for a change. Mm. Andy, any any advance on that? Did you think, you know, I I like a, a, flea, a free-flowing game, put my teeth in, you know, and I don't want the referee to stop every thing, but mm-hmm. there were there were yellows that weren't given and there were there were fouls that should have been given and vice versa. Did it did everything even itself out, do you think, from the end of the game? I think it did. I think it did because both fans have walked away from the match feeling hard done by. Like I, I don't think either fans can say, well, we got lucky to that, you know, I think we both got some decisions where we were lucky, some where we were unlucky. Like like you say, the Huang one, that probably was a booking on the second one. But that first one wasn't anywhere close to a booking for me, personally. Ake could have walked, but then again, that probably would have been harsh to have had two yellows for silliness. So I think both sets of fans have got enough to moan about, which is sort of the perfect referee in performance when you think about it. (laughs) Yeah, Because you don't want to make the fans happy, do you? You want them more to be a little bit pissed off. So I think on the balance of everything, and I do think Pawson is generally one of the better referees personally. So I mm-hmm. think he handled, I'd say probably 90, not, no, maybe 95% of the game. I think he handled it as I would have wanted him to in retrospect. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Let's have a look at uh, some of the stats for, for the game. Then we'll have a look at goals, take a brief break, and then we're going to talk about individuals. But, I mean, is this a smash and grab? Is this the perfect game plan? Well, that's for us to debate. But looking at that, for, for the purpose of uh, podcasters, we've got three shots to Wolves to Manchester City's 23. One shot on target to Man City's eight. Final possession of 31% to Wolves to Manchester City's 69. And there's all, you know, there's a few different um, statistics there. More one of the key things here, keeper saves seven to Wolves for Manchester City's zero. Um, you know, I think as far as the goalkeeper for Man City, the only time he's had his hands on the ball is when he's picked the ball out of his own net. I mean, that's an absolutely startling statistic. Stu, from your point of view, football heritage, this is exactly the kind of things that happens, doesn't it? I put on obviously a tweet, you know, early today saying, you know, these are the kind of games where actually for some bizarre reason we're destined to pick points up. Was it the proper, was it the perfect game plan or a smash and grab? Both can be true at the same time. <laughs> um, we said that Everton was a smash and grab. Everton was, was a, we, were, we rode our luck a lot there. This was... Other than the clearance off the line from Ballon Dawson, you could kind of think, well, we, everyone did their jobs properly. So it's almost like <laughs> if you turn it around and Man City are going to, say, Bayern Munich rewind five years ago, they'd have done exactly the same thing mm-hmm. playing there. Yeah. This is how you do things. This is how Mourinho won the league. Obviously, we're mm-hmm. going there before people start. But the jobs were executed perfectly. Seven saves by Jose Sarr, but not one of them was a worldie. He did he did very, very well with everything he did and held the ball quite a lot as well. And there was a lot of times where you could see he was the little temptations, the little devil on his shoulder mm. was there again. And he, he he went to launch things and then put his arm up and think, well, no, I need to calm down. I've been told off enough. But again, fair play. He's learned. <laughs> um, maybe the new contracts help towards that. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing this. This is how Luton beat Everton yesterday as well. And, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. And it's better doing it this way and get it, and having two shots and our goal than getting battered by one player like we did by De Bruyne a few years ago. So, mm-hmm. fuck them. I don't care. The main, the only thing that counts is the scoreline. Absolutely. Let's talk about the uh, goals before we um, go into a break. Um so you mentioned reference the first goal there being an own goal, but it was entirely if if any own goal can be you know attributed to one player, it's Pedro Neto, who's in an incredible run of form. We'll talk about him as an individual shortly, but it was once again that marauding run on the right hand side, Andy, that unlocked the door, the cutting inside. Yes, there's luck there, but you do create your own luck. It was it was just so typical wolves of this era, isn't it? For for that kind of goal on the break. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a Fosun era Wolves goal, isn't it? We were soaking up uh, soaking up pressure, and then all of a sudden we get that little bit of a break, and all of a sudden our players who've got pace show they've got pace. And someone like Ake, who oh, I think is a really good player, he got absolutely rinsed on that goal. Mm-hmm. It's not very often someone like him who's got pace and power just shows his ass to the crowd because he had absolutely nothing <laughs> when he was up against uh, Pedro. And like Pedro's making us like fucking fools by keep saying he can't play on the right. And <laughs> another performance like that. It's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, Ake had a bad game, didn't he? By all accounts. I mean, for the second goal, um, for, for the Huang goal, again, we'll talk about him after the break uh, as an individual. But um, what a run by, by Samedo. I think, you know, there, there are players in this team who you naturally associate with pace and explosivity. Um Match of the day highlighted on it yesterday, and you look at the um, the view from like a really high up camera angle. The speed and the acceleration and the torque he has on that run to, to get onto the end of that ball, and then you know the um, the cross itself is a, you know hits a deflection. Fine, but I mean the haters for Samado must be really eating humble pie at the moment, Stu. And you know all the credit. I know the assist will go to Cunha. Has to go down to Samado for that goal. Yeah, and. <laughs> The cross into the box was dangerous, which is what we've been crying out for for literally years from him. And mm. we've all said about how good he is in doing his own little thing and he's never going to be a goal threat. 
but this is what he's always been capable of, and we just never we've never seen it. And if when he has seen it, it's very fleeting. So maybe playing well, and we'll come on to it again later, like a bit wing back, but he was great. He was great all day long, and you you are right. He's deceptively quick because mm. he does kind of lounge around and kind of stroll, and especially when he's going to get throw-ins and stuff like that, he looks a bit lackadaisical and things like that. But he has got acceleration. He has got pace to burn when he needs to. And like match of the day highlighted, the the front three as they were mocked up the uh, Brazilian national team there in that last slide. And Samedo breaking together as a unit, not just one of them. They were all breaking as a unit in line. How long have we waited for something like this to happen? Where before mm. it's been Adama Traore on his own and then everyone else having to catch mm. up and then going into South Bank anyway. It was brilliant. And he did it almost to put... Well, you could say the cutback was designed to, as well because... There was no balls into the box because we've got no one to head the ball, have we? So even that, he's pulled it back into a dangerous position. And look what happens. Just just get just get bodies in the box, get the ball in, into feet. It works. Mm -hmm. I think credit where credit's due as well to Cunha. I think we've been guilty in the past of players in attacking positions, just stabbing at that ball, just trying to shoot at all, you know, at all costs. Mm -hmm. But he's calm. He plays that little layoff to Huang, who uh, obviously gets a goal. Slightly lucky because he eats it directly at the directly at the defender. Who's uh, it was a defender on the line, wasn't it? Um, mm. at, 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 at the moment in time, but nonetheless, we get the goal. Um, absolutely deserved, I feel as well, because we just took our chances when they came. Um, and what a fantastic um, feeling it was, you know, in the ground because at the equaliser, it very much felt well. We've seen this story a thousand times. We know exactly mm. where this is going, and it wasn't the case, Andy. And you know, it was. It, it, not to go really over the top with this, but it it felt like a turning point, not only in the game, but potentially of the season. I mean, you can only hope so, can't you? Because you are right. And that was a point that I was going to mention at some point. The immense times we lose that or have lost our heads when we've had one decision go against us. We had the Cunha free kick that wasn't given. And then we had the free kick that was, that looked like it was for a fairly similar sort of incidents at least it did in the ground anyway and so many times that's happened and all of a sudden all of our big name players have decided no the world's against us and I'm going to shut down tools and we'll get steamrolled here but they, they didn't do that yesterday like the, the catalyst of their goal was more of okay that's fine we'll carry on playing our game and we'll see where we end up at the end of it and it goes back to Stu's point earlier Emotional maturity was just shining throughout in this performance. And that goal typified it, to be perfectly honest. I thought it was the composure that Cunha had, just that deft little layoff for Huanga to just whip it in there. And yeah, it was perfect. Because as you say, mm. Matt, I mean, as soon as that ball fell to Cunha, I thought, oh, fuck, he's going to try and backheel this in. Because how many times have we seen a player yeah, try and yeah, do yeah. that? He's a striker who's like six, seven yards out. Of course, he's going to shoot, even though you've got a player open. And that pass was just weighted to perfection. Completely mm -hmm. took the keeper out of it, and that was it. All you've got to do is beat the defender on the line. He was a big bastard, but even so, he still did it too. It was yeah, absolutely. Well put as well. So we're going to have a little break um, right now. Um, for those from a podcast point of view, to allow you to uh, pause and grab a drink from those watching along live you're gonna to have to be quick because it's a six second video change but when we do come back uh we're going to discuss some of these individual performances pedro neto dawson uh huang and any kind of key players that you think deserve a mention including a man of the match we're going to discuss gary o'neill's post-match comments and then have a look at some of the uh twitter slash x it'll be a cold day in hell before i call it x mm. um look at some of the Twitter comments um, as well from the game is in terms of some people's positives and negatives. So we'll be back with you very, very shortly. Welcome back to Wolves Fancast with me, Matt Guy, Stu and Andy. And uh, once again, just going to plug the uh, Wolves Foundation Wolves Content Creators Cup the seven-a-side tournament uh, across all of your favourite Wolves content channels. 
um, all for a very, very good cause, an important cause to the uh, to the club. Sunday, the 15th of October at Compton Training Ground. Uh, there is a Just Giving page for the uh, Content Creators Cup. Um, if we can get five kind of donations within 24 hours from the fan cast, I will put in a reducer on a content creator of your choice as an incentive <laughs> as well um, out there. But what um, I want to talk about now are some of the individual performances there let's talk first of all about the Starboy 2.0 Pedro Neto Stu from your point of view for all intents and purposes he was done he's come back from a really difficult injury and it's happened before when he's come back and it's not quite worked but he is in a vein of form at the moment that he's getting not only the league but the world of football talking where I remember leaving um, Goodison and uh, one of the guys, um, one of the Everton fans walking down was going, God, he's some player. And at that game, I thought, oh, well, he's had a bit of a stinker here. But <laughs> apart from the obvious assist, which you know shut everybody up at the time. But um, he's in a real vein of form at the moment. Four assists at the moment. 17 successful crosses. The second in the Premier League at the moment for that. Um, you know, he, he's topping or getting close to topping a lot of the... Premier League current players in terms of stats. Um, is this a surprise to you or is this just something where it's just needed the right set of circumstances to get him in this position? Because we, he, we've had so many false dawns with him again. It, none of this is his fault. Um, he's just been unlucky and then had a moron in charge of the medical department. And because of that and because of him letting being played through... A blatant injury again, like the uh, I'm not saying that name. Um, in the comments, has put on the screen there about his injury, never get back to anywhere near the player he was. Everything that we'd seen before this season kind of pointed that way because he he tried to come back, they let him play through an injury, broken down again, and then it happens again as soon as he comes back. And you think, well, this guy's either cursed or something worse is going on, and for him then to come back and that good is some performance. And remember, though, before he got knackered in the first place, we didn't miss Jota when he was he was sold when he was fourth choice at one point mm -hmm. in, yep. in Europa League games. And people might argue that point, but he was. He'd been mm -hmm. dropped for Neto. He'd down tools in that last six months. He wasn't in form. And Neto kind of covered that hole. This version of Neto looks better than he did then in mm -hmm. some miraculous world. And it's almost like that that cross to Klozic was all he needed. It was all the proof mm -hmm. he needed because I mean there was a time like yesterday where when he was running when he was running full pelt, I thought, oh no, please just don't run full pelt because we know what's going to happen to you. <laughs> you like your leg's going to fall off or something. But he looks stronger. He looks bigger. He looks bulked up, and he's not lost any pace at all. Um, he looks a better player than ever, and. It's just how long he stays in there. The whole, all, the whole joke is, oh, he'll be sold in January and we'll all be fine. But he's rightly chopping the tart, the topping the charts. And like I said midweek, that if it wasn't for him, then we'd have no points. Yesterday, I don't think that mattered. He was just great. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, um, it was a real performance there. I mean, he feels like the catalyst and the spark that really gets things going again, which you absolutely need. Um, there's an interesting question or, or, or statement, um, Andy, in the uh, in the comments from Sean Crow. Um, the change for Neto on the right is he stopped cutting inside in every possession. Defenders don't know if he's going outside or inside anymore, and O'Neill gets credit for that. Um, there is an element of unpredictability about Pedro Neto, isn't there, where he just has everything that he touches seems to turn to gold at the moment, and it's, you know, whether you think that's an O'Neill thing or, or a player thing, He's just in a real rich vein of form, isn't he? Yeah, it's confidence, isn't it? I mean, if you go back to some of the, the games that we had between his injuries when his confidence was clearly low, things weren't coming off for him, he was very reluctant to use his right foot and go around the outside. But now he's got that thing where, like you say, he's got the Midas touch at the moment. So he's quite willing to just give it a go and see what happens. And I think that comes with confidence, to be honest. So the more confident he is, the more goals he's going to get and the more goals he's going to create. Mm. I mean, 
it's absolutely the natural thing that we all think and you know we've all heard you know we've we've heard it in the concourse and everywhere else and the question has to be asked <laughs> what price tag would we put on netto for moldy 7890 in the chat on uh, youtube you know certain players are priceless aren't they in certain points of a season and uh, for a team and at the moment we can't afford you know, to lose Pedro Neto. And I said very much this season, in it feels at least like it very much hangs in on how fit Huang and Pedro Neto can stay. Um, where do you lie with that, Stu, in terms of is he priceless for us at the moment? So take take the financial side of it out, but in terms of our success over the next, like, say, two, three months before January transfer window, um, how imperative is Pedro Neto to our success? I mean, you look at the backups to him and Huang, and there's your answer. Um, you've got what? Who do you play there? Do you play Sarabia there? Which I know Dan's going to be having kittens, but the mere mention of his name. Um, if Huang gets injured, do you play Fabio? And obviously Fabio came on and you can't really judge him yesterday. So I think it's imperative more than anything else and because of the importance of it and how well they are, how well, sort of how much informed they are at this point in time, um, let alone how the quality of the players that they are, mainly because we have no one else. And if they do go down, you can't have... <laughs> you haven't got the backups anywhere near the form or ability level. So you're talking about two-star players. So after seven games, and they are, and they, they deserve to be talked in that in that realm as well. And I know that Quang was not many people's cup of tea last year, or the or at all until this season. But they're both crucial to us doing something this season, and they mm -hmm. just are. No, you're absolutely right. There's a comment earlier in the uh, in the chat that I want to try and find because. It's um, absolutely epitomizes kind of the feeling of, of, of Huang. And here we are, Sean Crow, um, regular uh, contributor to the uh, chat. So thank you. This is an absolute core career. Um, for those at home, has there ever been a player to more dramatically change the fans' opinion of him in the 365 days than Huang? Andy, it really is a um, zero to hero story, isn't it, at the moment for, for the man? Um, and Stu's holding up. Quite a fetching fan cast uh, shirt there with um, with uh, an inscription which you can get at all good major outlets that start with at Wolves fan cast. Um, <laughs> Andy, I mean, it, is, it really is a miraculous um, perception turnaround, isn't it, for Fuang? We, we will talk about him um, as a, in this game, but just his perception within the fan base, it really is like a massive turnaround, isn't it? Hugely, hugely. I mean, when, when he came in on loan, I mean, obviously the song came from when he was, was here originally on loan. He did so well because he was what we'd been missing because of obviously Neto's injury. We needed that left winger who was going to sort of get us up the pitch a bit. And he did so well doing that. But then like a lot of others under the large era when things went a bit wrong, a lot of people turned on Huang first before anybody else because I think maybe because people thought he was better than what he was actually giving us for that period. Mm -hmm. But then I think a lot of people realised that once Lopetegui was coming in, we all thought Huang could be the one for Lopetegui because we think that he's got that ability to press and actually harry defences, which is what we all kind of like. I mean, that's a very Wolvesy kind of trait, isn't it, for a player to mm. be a, a bit of an arse. And that, that's kind of what he brings to the team. But no, he's just shown that he's so much more than just someone who can press and, and like, annoy people. He's actually got so much skill and he's probably the best finisher at the club. And I don't think that's a controversial thing to say because he's kind of shown that by the fact that he's our top scorer this season and deservedly so. But mm -hmm. you are right. It's the turnaround in a year is incredible. I'm I'm really pleased to see it. He was like he was one of my boys at the start of last season. Like I want him to do well, and it yeah. just wasn't clicking until it did, and then all of a sudden, we were looking up again. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, from three devilishly handsome bald gentlemen to another, there was somebody else that had an opinion on uh, our. Korean stylist. And when you see the quality individually that they have, Neto with Cunha, with uh, the Korean guy. 
노 코멘트 노 코멘트 Not going to do the impression for fear of cultural appropriation, but um, what an excellent uh, video that is as well. Um, uh, on a sidebar, there was a lot of um, videos, both from fans and I think the club put out with him spending time with some um, fans that had come over, a family I think that was invited over. Um, I mean, I don't think we quite understand as, you know, we're, well, we're all, you know, living live in, in Wolverhampton, but even for Wolves fans from across the UK and beyond, just how huge a star he is in his own country, Stu. Um, that he's like he's Elvis, the Beatles, and Jesus all rolled into one, isn't he? <laughs> uh, oh, he's. Um, and I think last season, last season, I said that he, he'd be player, uh, player of the year, and then he did the Newcastle thing and then got injured, so that kind of ruined that one. But he is, I mean, I love him, he's he's, he's not the best, but he doesn't matter because he doesn't stop. He doesn't hide. He doesn't shirk anything. He puts under hundred percent in. I know this is like the kind of words that you'd ex- explain, like a, a busting central midfielder as. But he is. He's, there you go, Martin. In the comments, he's always in the right place at the right time. And I think a lot of this to do. With, and you watch the interview with him with Jemmy yesterday. How well he speaks. And considering mm-hmm. two years ago he couldn't speak a word of English, and now he's doing seven minute interviews without translators or anything like that. And he's, it's got to help. It, it might, it might seem a, a stupid thing to think about, but speaking to your, your fellow players and you, the people mm. you're with half of the day, every day for most of the year, it's got to have some impact and you see where a nice guy is. And there is a great, I don't know if it's still there. It, it's been, there's a little, a mini documentary on FIFA TV. If you go and have a look on there or FIFA plus, wherever it's called, of Quang and Wolverhampton and stuff like this, um, which again, being on FIFA TV is a reason because he's massive over there. Take take Sonny away, and he's probably the biggest player that they've got that he's mm. loved, and now mm. he's getting the appreciation here as well. It's amazing. Well, speaking of you know language and and, and only vaguely resembling the English language, we've had uh, Geordie. Uh, hello, big up to all our panel members. Thanks for taking points from our rival, our oil rivals. Well, Jordy, you're very welcome. Um, and, you know, best of luck uh, to your uh, season if it means it takes points off some of the bigger boys and makes it more interesting uh, a season. I think uh, Moldy's come in and said that interview was fantastic, and he uh, he called O'Neill Gaffer as well in there's a Wolverhampton accent. <laughs> yeah, well, there were a few <laughs> clips of that, like when we had the uh, the Wolves AOE, I think originally from Neves, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and there's like, you can hear the twang that comes in through <laughs> their through their voices, which is just brilliant. Like it genuinely brings me joy to hear like the drawl of this part of the world <laughs> accent, like creeping to these international players. Um, as jam-packed as this episode has been so far, there is only one thing that has been more jam-packed and that has been Craig Dawson's back pocket from yesterday because he was absolutely insane Andy there's a, <laughs> a an image on the screen here of when he takes out the things out of his pocket he's got a very old mobile phone his keys his wallet and then an incredibly chunky Erling Haaland um he was just sensational wasn't he Dawson yes I put in all of the doubters about his pace and his legs and everything he marshaled and dictated and just has an all-round performance that many West Ham fans would have been that's what they were talking about when they were upset about him leaving Mm. talk us through his performance yesterday it was a performance of last season's like standard for him because I think this season we have exposed him by having him next to Samedo and asking Samedo to be a bit more attacking than we were last season. So he's then going to have to do a bit more running, which isn't ever going to be his game. So by putting him into the middle of the back three, which really shocked me because I thought they were going to keep him on the right-hand side and have Kilman in the middle. But by putting him there and having him go toe-to-toe against the best striker in the world and him just not being phased by it, it was, it was just magnificent. 
and he played he played into his hands didn't he let's be honest Haaland isn't the kind of player who he's going to try and stretch the defence he's not going to get beyond you he's going to come toe to toe and he's going to try and wrestle you and that's what Dawson wants he wants a scrap and there was one bit where they highlighted it last night our match of the day when um, Erling Haaland drops to the back post and there's this massive gap in the middle of the uh, in the goal area and rather than Dawson staying as the central defender of the three, he just tells Toshi to come across and cover whoever's in there. And he drops to the back post to pick up Ireland. It's like saying, you can try and get away from me, but he's ain't going to fucking... I'm stuck to you like glue. And it was perfect. It was the perfect performance from him. It's exactly what he wanted to see after a few weeks of much less than stellar performances from, from Dawson. I mean, th- there was a reason why people were calling for, for the other Bino to come in and give him a chance. And it wasn't it wasn't unheralded. Dawson's performances weren't good at all. But now there is a bit of a new lease of life if you're going to move to a back three. Mm-hmm. Place is probably a little bit more secure now than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, there was a chance um, early on into the game where the ball came across the face of goal and um, Haaland so easily could have got a, a foot on the end of it and then it, it goes in and Dawson just gets the, the deftest of little nicks on it. To, to put it out for a corner stew, but those kind of heroics was kind of commonplace within this game. He just he just put in a, a a performance that I think really needs to be highlighted. Yeah, that that, that challenge reminded me of the one that um, Brexit Bennett did against Chelsea, where he, he tracked back and just got his foot in at the perfect time, um, and it was a brilliant tackle. And it, he's in a way he kind of reminds me a little bit of Ryan Bennett in the way he's he's so un, he's so little frills at all. That he might as well just be a block of cheese, but he's so good at what he does. And like Andy said, that kind of striker. I mean, Carlton Morris at Luton kind of pulled him all over the place. And you think, come on. But this is why we have to have back five now from now on. And we're going to come to him. We might as well come to him now. But he, it just works for everyone on the every player that we've got in this squad. It works for Bellegarde. Maybe that you might need a tweak. But at the minute, we've still got another game. It's not available until after the Villa game anyway. I'd go back five all day long. Mm. Yeah, we'll get on to that in just a second. But while we're before we do talk about that, please, if you're on the comments, put in your opinion on this. Should we revert to or should we go to a back five now going forwards for you know the next few games? Or was this a one-off because of the um, the opposition and, you know, Prior to this, um, we've been going forward at the back. Give us your thoughts in the comments and we'll we'll get them read out. Just want to very quickly ask for any further kind of man of the match performance. Is there anybody else that you think deserves a mention um, within the game, Andy? Um, Kilman, I think he's coming for a fair bit of stick as well so far this season. And he didn't put a foot wrong. He did exactly what he needed to do in covering Samedo to allow Samedo to play his more natural game. So... Yeah, I think Kilman probably deserves a, a bit of a shout out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Stu? Any any players that you think deserve a, a shout out, and from the and from the opposition as well? Anybody that you think underperformed? The graphic that we've got <laughs> on screen at the moment talks about Nunes, Harland, and uh, Jeremy Doku. Um, is there anybody that you think you want to mention from a Wolves point of view, and then you want to mention from a Manchester City point of view? I mean, Doku was the one that everyone talked about. Oh, Samedo's going to be absolutely winced in, in two and all this stuff. All That was the discourse all week. That, oh, there's the weak spot after what he did the, the week before. Um, but he didn't have a sniff. <laughs> he, he was marked out the game, like a lot of them were. And oh, there was a comment when we was walking at the ground after, and there were, I mean, we've already mentioned Ake, and, and there was a guy who was walking up the university slope, and he was... As, as usual with City fans, you can always, always have a conversation with them. And they're not dickheads like a lot of the others. Um, and he was saying he hasn't seen Ake be ridden like, like Neto did to him for a long, long time, if ever, in a City shirt. Um, the, again, there was when he's on form like that, there's no answer to him, is there? And mm. I think, out of, out of all of them, we haven't even mentioned Mario Lamina. And I thought he was amazing again. Again, very, very mm. disciplined. And considering what we were told before he came here, and oh, he's a bit Reckless is a bit of a maverick, and we've all, they got that graphic that went around later where he was laughing in people's faces and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was after the game, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I think him and him and Gomez were very, very solid at what they do, and they all, you always get we back to the wall performances like this. I think midfield's always missed out on because it's never really talked about. Mm. 
But they dropped in and they did their defensive duties perfectly and got rid of the ball when we needed to. And, and the forward line didn't get balls from through chance, did they? And there was a lot yeah. of times that they didn't show it on match today, obviously, but there was a lot of times where it was them two winning it back and then releasing it. And they did really, really well. But no no one is below a seven yesterday. And that's how you beat Man City. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the comments in the chat speak for themselves about the question around whether we should go to a back five. Let's go through some of them right now. Martin W, back five, definitely. Connor, back five sounds good. Um, we've got here uh, still with the. Uh, I think Belagar can play in a two with either Gomez or Lamina. And um, Moldy says, Bubakar Traore is excellent when he came on. His energy levels were yeah. exactly what we needed. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't work, we can go back to a back four. Also, back five depends on the opposition, maybe home and away games. Matt Bradley, back five when we'll definitely have to play on the break for sure, but it could be horses for courses. And uh, Dean Marsden, keep the back five for now. Freeze Kilman up to goal marauding and allows Totti to be aggressive. We have far more mobility in the midfield now. Bellegarde can also mean a return to 5-3-2 if needed. So there's an absolute massive amount of choice, uh, which seems bizarre to say about Wolves in terms <laughs> of what we, what we can do. Um, but the one man that will make all of these decisions will be Gary O'Neill. And in his post-match comments, he said it's exactly what we prepared for prepared for disciplined and full of quality we worked really hard city are very structured lads have stayed fully focused thought Cunha was excellent in his job in the pivot along with Huang and Neto it's the biggest result of his managerial career and he's beaten the best team in the world who'll probably win the league again um you know all in all I think it's a massive relief obviously to get more points on the board but it has swung the gonometer in uh, in sort of, more of uh, a de Defcon two, if that's the I, I don't know which way Def, if Defcon one's good or bad, uh, but it's definitely swung it in the other direction. And you know, in terms of the post match uh, Twitter slash X, um, Doctor Adam Dwight, uh, <laughs> one positive might be an apology from you for this nonsense and fickleness after Gary O'Neill had six Premier League games in charge, and there's the. Um, there is the gonometer in the bottom uh, corner there. Again, good doctor. This was just a litmus test of public opinion, not our individual comments or uh, opinions. But we did ask for two positives, one negative, and a man of the match from um, the Twitter side of the, of the world. Adam, um, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his surname, Ruham. <laughs> Uh, Hang in the right spot again. Uh, Neto being Neto. Fabio, again, didn't look great when he came on. And Craig Dawson, the man of the match. Craig, uh, another Craig. Uh, we won the positive. We deserved it. Another positive. The negative that Nunez went off at half time and spoiled the fun we were having with him. <laughs> um, from your point of view, gents, Andy, give us two positives and negative and give us the man of the match from that performance. Um, I think my man of the match is going to Dawson. Like he had an unenviable, unenviable task. And he did it with great aplomb. He was tremendous. Uh, the positive is that for the first time in forever, that Pedro Neto and Huang have hit some form and they haven't got injured. Because <laughs> how many times does yes. that happen? And then, well, yeah. And then all of a sudden, one of them gets crocked within 20 minutes. So the fact that we've come through unscathed in this massive game, I think that's a massive positive. Um, a negative, I, I, I can't, was it Craig, sorry, who said about Silva? Some more work needs doing there. And I, I don't know what's going to happen to make him be the man that we all want him to be. Um, a, another positive is the fact that we do have some choices in the middle of the park now. Like mm. uh, Dino's point to the back five. Uh, I know like Bellegarde obviously didn't play this weekend, but we could go with three in the middle with two pivots and some one who can push up. Like I think that is such a massive thing now. And that's not a positive for yesterday, but it's a positive for just the club is that we do have options where we can mix it up. Absolutely. Taking Chris Rogers at his word here and Stu, I want to ask you a breaking news question, putting you on the spot here. Still want Michael Beale? Just been sacked <laughs> from Rangers. Um, um, how the mighty have fought you now? Just, um, I mean, it's just glorious, isn't it? I mean, what an arsehole. Um, I mean, the whole the lies about it was what did him. Um, again, he did a great, great job at QPR, but again, 
he was never going to leave, was he? And then a month later, look what happened. So now where are you? <laughs> no, it's it great. It, it it would have it it had the potential, but again, we we've criticised. Well, I have more than anyone else, I suppose. Um, Gary O'Neill, and, and that is the positive for me yesterday that he proved that he's actually not just a PE teacher, um, because. Again, he said it himself that it's the best result of his managerial career, which is not saying much because of how short it is, but I didn't think he had this in him. And there's been no mm-hmm. no evidence whatsoever to say that he did either. Um, so for for the team to come out and play like that way, play as we've talked about over and over again, how well disciplined everyone was, did the jobs properly, massive credit to him because he, he needed it more than anything else. And if this was the reason why Tuesday was so ridiculously bad, that they'd focus more on this game than that one, then whatever. It's gone now. Um, pardon the pun, but again, work work to be done. Of course, we, this is a, a back to the wall. It's not. It wasn't just I was sit on your your goal line and bat everything away. There was shape there. There was ideas there. There was proper counter attacking going on, which we haven't seen for a long time. Um, like I said earlier about moving in packs and things like that. So that's. A, <laughs> Proving proving me wrong in some some aspects is a good thing. Um, obviously, Andy went over quite a lot of it anyway. Um, but again, let's just say we are allowed to say bad things. You know, we are allowed to criticise people, Doctor. We don't have to all love everyone when things need saying they get said. Okay, but again, I think the good thing, the other good thing was Molyneux was back, which mm-hmm. I I honestly mm-hmm. didn't think it was. They, they ramp up the ticket prices to what they are. You obviously change the, the demographic of the people there. I was massively shocked and enjoyed that it was as nasty as it was. Well, let's hope that that atmosphere, you know, and um, Dan, who I can only assume is Dan, based on some of the disparaging Sarabia comments that have come in this chat, um, very, um, very eloquently put in the, the chat earlier that this can't be just about individual pantomime villains this needs to be the Molyneux that we see all the time and no more so is that the case than against Sunday's opposition in Aston Villa who you know absolutely demolished Brighton um, at the weekend we'll of course talk about that in our preview show um, for Wolves fancast later in the week Um, make sure you are listening as well and watching looking out for Gully's tactical analysis that will be a very very interesting watch as well Um, Andy Villa, obviously in a very, very um, strong position at the moment, beating Brighton, who are not only media darlings, but they are really, you know, doing a fantastic job themselves with the resources that you always have available to them. Villa's going to be another difficult challenge, isn't it? It will. Um, As for like Villa yesterday, I haven't seen the Brighton game. When you look at the headline of a 6-1 score, it's... It's fucking mind-boggling, isn't it? Let's be honest. Especially like the Brighton that we have seen this season who've torn ourselves a new arsehole. Like we've seen them quite regularly go to places and show them up. So for Villa to be 6-1 up is quite incredible. Um, there'll be a complete different game against Aston Villa next week. It won't be anywhere near as easy. Even if it are in poor form, it would still be a really tough game because there is still that little bit of a niggle. And I know that we always say, like, we're not rivals, and we're not really rivals. But I don't think the players feel that way. I don't feel... I think they kind of hate each other a little bit, so it seems. So I think it'll be quite a feisty game. Mm. And like, and don't wrong, yesterday's game was brilliant, but one swallow doesn't make a summer. We shouldn't be getting ahead of ourselves here. Things could yeah. still go very badly. We've still got a lot of games to play. So then he's take it one game at a time, and yeah. That, that's where I'm sitting at the moment. Stu, have the last say on this and the podcast um, this evening. In terms of Villa, you're um, a strange one. <laughs> well, yeah. Let that yeah. hang. Uh, but in terms of you, you <laughs> like, you know, you do believe in fake curses and witchcraft when it comes to football. <laughs> um, you know, that we're cursed against certain colours, but we're, we're destined to do certain things. Uh, and you, I think you have a bit more of an optimistic view, don't you, on this fixture than the most? Yeah, we've, we I mean, as like Burnley have had our number over the last 10 years, we've had Villas, especially at home. Um, and it's not a fake curse. We can't play against teams in blue and white stripes. That's just a fact. Go on 11 v 11, look it for yourself, <laughs> kids. Um, 
but yeah, I mean that they don't like coming here either. I mean, the guy who was the um athletic reporter last last season. He openly admitted it on Twitter last year. Well, I don't want to go to Monaco because we know what happens there. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, we, if we can be someone's bogey team, it's, it's about time that we had, we had someone close to us being like that. But you know, on their six-one win, Andy, one one was a massively deflected goal. One was, the, um, I was astonished it wasn't given for offside when that when you got a player there, keeper there, mm. and then another Villa player in front of the keeper, and that he was all perfectly fine, of course. Um, one was a goal that was um, should have really been a hold up as a foul in the build up. It would have still been a three one win, but and you look at the yeah. XG and you think, yeah, it's typical Villa luck. Um, oh, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, they actually are oh, the one point nine six XG for Villa, and they got six goals. Yeah, that does speak, yeah, uh, speak volumes, doesn't it? It's 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 Villa luck to a T. That is, but yeah, mm. and again, like in the comments, I've said there, they are playing Thursday night. They were not very good in their first game in the uh, Conference League, so they need to step it up. So if we could take advantage of that, have an extra day's rest as well. We've got a bit of monkey off our back of actually getting points in wearing gold now, which was still a thing until yesterday. Um, I am amazed. If you said this to me on Friday, I'd be never saying, yeah, I'm confident to play Villa now after the start that they've had as well, but I kind of am, and if we play, if we play like that to that kind of intelligence and intensity again, and don't do stupid, silly things and get carried away with the moment, which I don't think they will anymore, then yeah, we've got every chance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Once again, you know, later in the week we'll have our uh, Villa preview show. Make sure that you are subscribed across YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter slash X. Make sure you've got the little bell. Uh, ticked on as well to get notifications of when we are posting content. I want to give a very, very thank, uh, big thank you to all the, our podcast uh, partners and to uh, Boston Coffee Company as well. But most importantly, thank you to you, the listeners and watchers of this uh, show. It's the reason why we do it. You know, we really, really love that we can get to put your comments up on the screen, and it is uh, really good to have some of new listeners and uh, some of our long-term supporters as well. Really, really appreciated. Um, once again, just a final plug for the um, charity game that we have going on uh, at Molly with all the other content creators. We're going to say it till we blue in the face. Justgiving.com forward slash page forward slash content creators cup. But for now, Andy, if you want to say goodbye. Be excellent to each other. If you want to say goodbye. Quang tough. Quang in there. Uh, from me, Matt. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast with us, three very quick plug for our very small uh, podcast uh, at Cage Fighting Pod as well, where we talk all things silly and Nick Cage. But really appreciate everybody joining in this evening. Have a great week ahead, and we will see you down the road. (laughs) It would be a war spot, eh? Go full. People might yet win it here for Wolves. Flash in the shot. Yeah!